Thanks for joining us for the Connect Podcast. I'm Cole Phillips, the lead pastor of the Connection Church, and every week we're going to look into the Bible to find out how God's Word connects to our everyday lives. It's going to be life-changing. The Connect Podcast is produced every week for your growth and inspiration. You can find all the show notes at makingtheconnection.org. You can also find the podcast on your favorite podcasting service, Follow me on Twitter at Cole Phillips and on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Now, let's get into the study. We're going to have a great time together over the next few minutes as we uh, get into God's Word, get God's Word into us so we can get it out of out of our lives, into the world around us. And uh, so we're we're going to continue in our study of John today, John, uh, John chapter 9, verse beginning with verse 35. So uh, let's get into our study right now. I want to start by telling you a story that, that I heard about a customs officer that would see this truck pulling up to the border. This customs officer was very suspicious. So he goes, he orders the driver out of the truck. He searches the vehicle. He pulls off the panels, the bumpers, the wheel cases, everything. Tears this truck apart and finds not a single scrap of contraband or you know anything that he's bringing. He's still suspicious, but he doesn't know where else to search. So he waves the driver through. And then the next week, the same driver arrives. Again, the the... Customs officer searches the vehicle, finds nothing uh, that inappropriate. And over the years, the, he tries full body searches, x-rays, sonar, anything he can think of. And every week, the same man drives up and no mysterious cargo ever appears. And each time, the customs official waves the driver through. Finally, after many years, the officer's about to retire, and the driver pulls up, and the officer says, I know you're a smuggler. You don't need to deny it, but I can't figure out what you've been smuggling all these years, and I'm about to retire. I swear I'm not going to do anything to you, but please tell me what you've been smuggling all these years. And the driver says, trucks. <laughs> so it was hidden in plain sight the whole time. There was something that was clear as day that the official could see, and yet he was missing it. He missed it. And we're talking in this chapter of John chapter 9 about how possible that is to not be able to see Jesus restores the sight of this blind man, and yet the officials still can't see. They remain spiritually blind. And there's all this conflict over this incredible miracle, both from the religious leaders, uh, the family of this blind man who can now see. And we've watched this blind man through this whole chapter, and we see that now in today's passage we're looking at, he finally makes a decision to follow after Jesus. And when you make that decision, 
that's when you can truly see. So what we find is a mature faith in Jesus doesn't come instantly and it doesn't come easily. And just like this blind man, we also can grow in our ability to trust God with our lives, trust him with our problems. And, and faith and trust is like a muscle that you, the more you exercise it, the more it grows. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to John chapter 9, verse 35. We're going to read 35 through 38 to begin with. And it says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, when Jesus found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So think about this. This is actually the first time this blind man in, in the, we've been in this chapter for three weeks now. This is the first time he's actually seen Jesus with his own eyes. And what happened in the previous passage, we saw that, that the Jewish leaders cast this man out of the temple, and then the Lord of the temple found this man. And notice that Jesus was the one who was doing the searching. You know, so often we call people... Um, we'll, we'll call them seekers or searching after God. But really, it's, it's God's spirit. It's Jesus who searches after us. And he was looking for this man who had been cast out. Uh, and, and this man believed, and then he responded with worship. That's what happens when you believe in Jesus. You're always going to respond with worship. That's the result. But, but it makes me wonder this question, like, why did it take so long um, for Jesus to find this man? Why did he wait until after this man was thrown out of the temple? Um, well, he was, there was something bigger going on. See, he wasn't trying to rescue this man from the problem. He wanted to lead this, this man to, to trust fully in him, which Many times, you know, we have a problem in life. We think this is our problem, and this is what we're asking Jesus to save us from. And then there's this wait, there's this pause, and that's because there's something, a greater need that we have in our lives, and that is the need to fully trust in Jesus, trusting Jesus with our life. So there's the first step of enlightenment, being able to see but there's a second step uh, where this man commits his life to Jesus to make Jesus his savior and the Lord of his life. You know, you think about this. Sometimes people have a Damascus Road, instant, powerful experience like Paul, and their lives are just changed in an instant. But even if you consider Paul in his life, there was a process. There was a process that took place. In fact, interestingly enough, as I think about it, you know, Paul was struck blind and he had to go have his sight restored. But um, we don't instantly understand everything. I don't know that we ever now fully on this side, you know, we don't understand everything. 
but but growth and understanding uh, grow in a process throughout this chapter. You see this whole process take place, and um, in um, in a Newsweek article a few years ago, John Meacham he wrote that American Christians are part of what is now the world's largest faith with 2 billion believers or roughly 33% of the earth's population a third of the earth's population this was this was about 15 years ago but here here were the percentages Americans who say they're Christians 81%, Americans who believe Jesus rose from the dead 78%. <laughs> it's funny. 81% say they're Christians 78% believe Jesus rose from the dead. So so there's 3% who say they're Christians that don't even believe Jesus rose from the dead. And then 75%, so a lesser percent, say Jesus was sent to earth to absolve mankind of sin. You see, there's this kind of progression, um, but there are a lot of people who maybe they claim to be Christians, but and I imagine these percentages are much lower now, but uh, they don't really see. They don't really see. There's a process, and, and there's different ways of viewing Jesus. There's the the true biblical way, but not everybody sees Jesus that way. And so this man starts. If we go back, we're gonna we're gonna rewind a few verses to verse eleven, where um, this man, this blind man who could now see replied to the religious leaders, the man they called Jesus made some mud. So the man, they saw Jesus, he saw Jesus as the man. And that's a, a historical fact that Jesus lived, that he walked the earth, that, that you know, he, he is a person who, who is an actual historical figure. And there's great historical evidence for that fact. Uh, and that may be how some see Jesus. He was just a, a, a man or just a, just a good man. Um, and so that's maybe the first thing that you see. Uh, but then there's a second step, and, and that is that he saw Jesus as a helper. And that is Jesus was a healer. You see Jesus, some people see Jesus just for what he can offer to them, what he can do for them to help them in their life experiences, you know, to help them have a better life. Uh, in verse 17, we see um, that th- this verse, it says, then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. So that's another way people see Jesus as a prophet sent by God. A prophet would be somebody who would, you know, kind of like a priest, somebody who would represent God among the people and share God's message and show God's power. Um, And and so that would be one step in seeing Jesus, uh, maybe a higher step, you would say. But then there is receiving Jesus as Savior, seeing Jesus as our Savior, seeing Jesus as the Son of God. you know, it's interesting um, that that Jesus he he identified himself as the Son of Man. He identified himself as the Son of Man. That was 
uh, his favorite title for himself. In fact, Son of Man is used 28 times in the Gospel of Matthew alone. He says, I am, do you believe in the Son of Man? And as he says, the, the man, you know, we say that sometimes, he's the man, or I'm the man, or whatever, you know, that is a definite article, and it was exclusive, saying he is the one, he is the most important person to ever walk the planet. And he says, do you believe, do you believe this? He liked to call himself son of man. And, and also, he's the son of God. That means he's 100% God. Jesus is 100% God. He's 100% man. Jesus is totally God. He's totally man. In Daniel 7, 13, this is a vision of Daniel in the Old Testament. He says, he writes, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion, this is how we know that he's talking about Jesus, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Son of Man was a messianic prophecy from the Old Testament that Jesus said, that's me, I am the son of man. Maybe it wasn't quite as controversial as saying he's telling people he's the son of God or as inflammatory where people just instantly knew what he was talking about. You kind of had to know the Bible to know that son of man also means that he is um, he is the Messiah. Um, so, you know, he saw him as a prophet, then he sees him as savior. Now he begins to worship him. When he worships him, I mean, he's worshiping him as God in the flesh. And uh, so it's a process, but, you know, it, it's not enough just to see Jesus as a, as a man or as a teacher or as a, as a prophet, uh, as a, you know, any of, the, any of these sort of lesser ideas of who he is. He claimed to be God because he is God in the flesh. And so, so you've, we, we must see him as he truly is. And that's really seeing. See, it's not enough just to have an intellectual understanding. Um, he knew, this man knew that there was something different about Jesus. But it's interesting that the Bible says in James 2.19 that even the demons have that intellectual understanding. James 2.19 says, you believe there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Obviously, the demons uh, don't trust in Jesus. So there's a difference between believing, that means, you know, knowing, but trusting, committing is a bigger, is a bigger step. Uh, the word commit um, is, is the picture of saving faith, uh, of the kind of faith that really leads to salvation, that changes a person. See, saving faith isn't just head knowledge. It's not just mental, you know, yes, saying yes. Uh, it's not just believing the, the fact that Jesus is the Savior. I mean, even believing that he's the Savior, you can know that. Uh, it's not enough to know that Jesus lived, just like so many historical figures lived. We know they lived. Um, and so you might believe the, the, uh, the Gettysburg address, you know, of Abraham Lincoln, 
but uh, that's that's a different you know that's a different kind of thing because you just believe yeah Jesus said these things Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount and and I believe that and I believe in what he was saying but saving faith is really believing in Jesus trusting who he is trusting what he is and what he did that he is the Savior that he is the Lord of all creation. Um, it's turning your life over to Jesus. Um, and saving faith is commitment, committing your total self, your total life to Jesus, to, to all he is. And, and uh, it means giving him our all, uh, our, our past, all of our mistakes and our sins and our hurts and our failures, uh, our present, trusting today to him. Um, and our future, where we're headed. We trust that to, to him. It's all in his hands. And um, that means we follow him in every area of our life, and we obey him. We do what he asks us to do, what he tells us to do and commands us to do. Um, that's the commitment. So it's a big commitment, right? Um, so, so look at these steps involved in seeing clearly that we see here. First, there's the step of seeing. This blind man was healed. He could see. Um, there's a, a story that I want to share about uh, <laughs> a guy named, uh, he was a writer. His name was David Rakoff. And uh, it's inter- he had an interesting life. In 1986, um, his company in Tokyo was working on a computer program that allowed people uh, to write short little messages to each other after logging onto a network. And this 86, okay, he wasn't impressed. He thought, uh, what kind of loser would log on to a computer to talk to someone? And he went into work and he quit. He said, sayonara, suckers. <laughs> Good luck with your network. Um, and the network became a little thing called the Internet. But he also had some other stories. In the early 80s, uh, David went into a, a dance club and he heard this young blonde a singer from Michigan and thought, man, she, she is lousy. She's no good. And um, she later became known by the name Madonna. Um, another time he was working in publishing and he was given a manuscript of a book that he said was just drivel and was subpar and an easy pass, and it turned out to be a book called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, which went on to sell 15 million copies. Um, and so we know seeing is not always believing. And I think of how many times in my life I've uh, judged someone or something thinking, oh, that's no good, or they'll never amount to much, or whatever I'm thinking. And then you see their success, or you see its success, and how powerful it is. And so many times we can see something, but we misjudge. Um, so second, there's a step of knowing, okay? That means that you agree uh, with, with uh, the truth, okay? You're agreeing. It's, it's still in your head, uh, but you haven't done anything about it. Um, and so, so there's a third step, and that is the step of commitment. And that's what the Bible and what God is talking about when, when we, we read about faith, it is commitment. It's a personal commitment to the truth. And you hear the truth and you agree with the truth, but then you do something about it. 
you respond to it, you commit to it, and you yield your life to it, and it changes every part of who you are. It changes how you think and how you act. And too many times, there are too many people, I think, that are just one step short of full commitment. You know, it's not just surrounding yourself with other believers, which is vital. We need to be in the company and presence uh, of other believers, but we also have to be a believer. Okay. It's not just that Jesus is a, a helps your life, but he changes your life. So let's look on in verse 39. It says, Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Wow. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind too. And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Interesting. He says, I come for judgment. I come for judgment. Um, in John chapter 3, he says, I did not come to, to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. But here he says, you know, I, I am going to, to judge. And really, you know, that judgment, you're into, you end up judging yourself because of your own uh, blindness, because of your own sin. And and it's interesting that Jesus says, the blind will see, those who see will become blind. But, um, you know, it's also interesting uh, that, that even the definition of faith is faith is the evidence of things unseen. Uh, A.W. Tozer, great uh, theologian, he said, religious instruction, however sound, is not enough by itself. It brings light, but it cannot impart sight. The assumption that light and sight are synonymous has brought spiritual tragedy to millions. The Pharisees look straight at the light of the world for three years, but not one ray of light reached their inner beings. Light is not enough. The inward operation of the Holy Spirit is necessary to saving faith. The gospel is light, but only the Spirit can give sight. So these religious leaders, they were opposing Jesus, and they expected Jesus to say they were blind, but he said something even more shocking. He said, no, your blindness is an excuse. If you had been blind, then, then you would be excused because you would have been acting in ignorance, and you would have not even known what you were doing, but they knew the Bible. They knew the, the law of God. They knew about spiritual things, and they were so proud that they claimed they could see, and yet they couldn't recognize Jesus for who he is. And so, therefore, they were guilty. They were judged blind. And, um, you know, there are people who think they see, and yet they stay blind. I, I found an example of this in the late 1940s, uh, there was a man named Charles Templeton who was a close friend uh, of Billy Graham. He even preached alongside of him at times, and he was preaching to massive crowds and big arenas. And then he started being haunted, I guess, by by intellectual doubts in his life. And he questioned the truth of the Bible, and he questioned core Christian beliefs. And he finally abandoned his faith and walked away. And he made uh, an attempt even to persuade Billy Graham to walk away from the faith. 
In fact, he felt sorry and felt pity for Billy Graham. And he said he committed intellectual suicide by closing his mind. And Templeton ended up resigning from ministry. He became uh, you know, a news commentator. He wrote a critique of the Christian faith. And uh, journalist uh, and author Lee Strobel, apologist Lee Strobel, which you may have seen uh, the movie the, the Case for Christ is about his life. But he interviewed um, he interviewed Templeton for his book, the, the Case for Faith. He was 83 years old. He was suffering from Alzheimer's. And he said, here's some of the reasons he left the faith. He said, I started considering the plagues that sweep across the planet and kill uh, painfully all kinds of people, the ordinary, the decent, and the rotten. And it just became crystal clear to me that it's not possible for an intelligent person to believe there is a deity, a God who loves. And Lee Strobel asked him about Jesus. And this was a surprising response. Templeton believed Jesus lived, but never really considered himself to be God. Here's what he said. He was the greatest human being who's ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. He's the most important thing in my life. I know it may sound strange, but I have to say I adore him. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. He's the most important human being who's ever existed. But if I may put it this way, I miss him and his eyes filled with tears and he wept freely and he wouldn't say any more. What a tragedy. What a tragedy to say, to recognize the greatness of Jesus and yet miss Jesus himself, miss uh, the relationship with Jesus because of our own pride, because we think we're smarter, because we think we know more and we can outsmart God. Um, you know, that, that, that we choose to be self-sufficient. The truth is we're not self-sufficient. You know, a blind person, think about a blind person pretending to see. It can be very dangerous, and it's dangerous for us. It's dangerous for us to put ourselves in a position where we're so proud that we think, you know, we've, we've outsmarted God, and we, we've outsmarted uh, the Bible and his word, Um. So the, the fact is, the truth is, Jesus offers us true sight, true sight to see uh, spiritually. And, and that comes uh, when, we, when we humble ourselves before him and we begin to fully trust our lives and our hearts to him. And so my prayer that I want to close with today is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. And it says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Dear Jesus, open the eyes of our heart and help us to see you more clearly today to walk in your light as we walk every step of the way, fully trusting and entrusting our lives to you. God, thank you for giving us that kind of sight that we also would see the needs of those around us, see the outcasts and see those who are hurting, that you would place us in those situations to be a light to the world around us. Thank you so much for your goodness. And we pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to seeing you again 
really soon. Seeing you next week. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this week's Connect podcast. If you liked what you heard, then be sure to like, share, comment, subscribe, rate. We want to spread this good word to everybody we can who needs to hear this message. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to you joining us next week for the Connect podcast.